Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams Tertiary Phase this sounds like a silly question, but what am I doing here? Well, you know that I rescued you from the Earth. One of the many problems encountered in time travel is quite simply one of grammar, which is further complicated by the possibility of conducting conversations whilst you're actually travelling from one time to another. What is it? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's an electronic book. It will tell you everything you want to know. I like the cover. Don't panic. You'll need to have this fish in your ear. I beg your pardon. People of This is prospecting Fogon Puts. People are regulars. This is prospecting Fogon Yak. And what has happened to the Earth? People of Earth. This is prospecting Fogon Jets of the Galactic Hyperspace Planning Council. It's been disintegrated. Your planet is scheduled for demolition. So what do I do? Well, come along with me and enjoy yourself. The Encyclopedia Galactica has much to say on the theory and practice of time travel, most of which is incomprehensible to anyone who hasn't spent at least four lifetimes studying advanced hypermathematics. And since it was impossible to do this before time travel was invented, there is a certain amount of confusion as to how the idea was arrived at in the first place. The most plausible rationalization states that time travel was, by its very nature, discovered simultaneously at all periods of history. But this is clearly bunk. The trouble is that quite a lot of history is clearly bunk. The realization of which led to the immediate formation of the campaign for real time. It was during its inaugural strategy meeting and coffee morning, at which it was formally agreed a real time was being had by all, that the news broke that not only had the great cathedral of Chalism been pulled down in order to build a new negative iron refinery, but that the construction of the refinery had taken so long and had had to extend so far back into the past in order to allow negative iron production to start on time, that the Cathedral of Chalism had now never been built in the first place. Picture postcards of the cathedral suddenly became immensely valuable and blank. Which is why, as a result of time travel, much of history is now gone forever. In a footnote, the campaign for real-timers explained that just as easy travel eroded the differences between one country and another, and between one world and another, so time travel is now eroding the differences between one age and another. The past, they say, is now truly like a foreign country. They do things exactly the same there. Watch out! What was that? Something red! No, it goes straight past Foster and Silimid on and over the boundary for four lovely runs. And now, England need just 28 to win the final test on this near-perfect day at Lord's. Holden returning the ball, and Fred, my dear old thing, what on earth is that? It looks like two men and a Chesterfield sofa. Can anybody tell me what is going off? Henry, I don't know. Where are we? Somewhere green. 
Shapes. I need shapes. Excuse me, sir. Is this your sofa? What was that? Something blue. Shape. It is blue shaped. Like a policeman. Come along, you two. Let's be having you. Ford, if I didn't know I was going mad, I'd say this place looks astoundingly, terrifyingly, horrifically like Lord's Cricket Ground. Very astute of you, sir. Ah, it is a policeman, Ford. There's always a policeman at Lord's. What are we going to do? What do you want to do? Get a beer? I want to hear you say I've been dreaming for the past five years. You've been dreaming for the past five years. Come along now. All right, four and three quarters. It's all right, officer. This is all a dream. Ask him. He was in it. Dreaming, eh? Account for the dressing gown, would it? Oh no, the dressing gown's just a hallucination. You see, it's what I was wearing when the Earth was demolished. To I've got a bone in my beard. I've got a beard. Tell you what I'll do. I'll be the one over there passing out. How about that? Good idea. Officer, my name is Ford Prefect. I was born 600 light years from Earth near Betelgeuse. I am a researcher for the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Bit of a student prank, aren't we, sir? That is Arthur Dent. He's from Earth, but has been stranded in your prehistoric era for a while. Yes. Well,、uh, don't let it happen again. Well, Henry, I don't think there have been any strange things appearing on the pitch since. It was in 1932, Fred. Ah, now what happened then? Well, Fred, I think it was Cantor facing Wilcox, coming up to bowl from the pavilion end, when a spectator suddenly ran straight across the pitch. There's nothing actually very mysterious about that, is there? No, but he did claim to have seen something materialise at Silimidon, an alligator of some kind, if you can believe it. But no one was able to get a very detailed description. They offered to give him some lunch, but he explained that he'd already had rather a good one, so the matter was dropped, and Warwickshire went on to win by three wickets. So not very likely at all then.、Uh, no, uh, uh, for those of you who've just tuned in, by the way, two men, two rather scruffily attired men, and indeed a sofa, a Chesterfield, I think, have just materialised here in the middle of Lord's Cricket Ground. They're carrying it off now. Actually, can I interrupt for a moment, Fred, and say that the sofa has just vanished? So it has. Well, that's one mystery less. So, England now only need twenty-four runs to win the Ashes, and I don't think I've seen anything like that at cover point before. Except perhaps against the West Indies. How are you feeling? I'm home. It's England. It's today. I'm、oh. <sighs> drinking tea in the tea tent at Lords. The long nightmare is over. Why are you looking at me like that? Just listen, Ford. It's over. I'm finally where I belong. Nothing you can say or do. Okay, okay. Thought you might like to look at the newspaper. That's all. Well, no thanks. I've read that one. <gasps> Wait a minute. Not a word. Wait a minute. How can this be today's? I saw this years ago, the day before. That's right. The Earth was demolished. Yep. So that means the Earth is going to get demolished tomorrow. I think you're finally getting the hang of time travel.、Uh, I don't think I can bear it again. Wait a minute. No, don't even think about it. If this is before I left, that must mean that I am. Don't. What? Try and phone yourself up at home. How did you know? <sighs> People who talk to themselves on the phone never learn anything to their advantage. <coughs> 
Hello, is that Arthur Dent? Ah, hello, yes. This is Arthur Dent speaking. The earth blows up tomorrow. No, don't hang up. What? Arthur, this is not my first temporal anomaly. So, finish his arcing tea and let's get out of here. So we're not home and dry. We could not even be said to be home and vigorously toweling ourselves off. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has this to say about towels. See secondary phase. Nice! Hit! Full toss. If they had a fielder standing where we are, the ball would drop straight into his... rabbit skin bag. Now, I'd say that was also a very curious event. Where's the ball? Uh, I don't know. It probably rolled off somewhere. Over there, I expect. Why didn't you tell him you caught the ball in your bag? I don't know. I just got the feeling it might come in useful. Why are you dodging about trying to peer behind the sight screen? That's the other thing I was going to tell you. Neither you nor the crowd have noticed what is parked behind the sight screen. I think it might be an SCP. Can you see it? A what? An SCP. Somebody else's problem. Oh, good. I can relax then. Not till you tell me if you can see it. You said that was somebody else's problem. That's right. And I want to know if you can see it. What does it look like? How should I know, you fool? If you can see it, you tell me. Ford, I insist that I am not being stupid. You really are gibbering away without any regard for logic or the normal conventions of human discourse. And, all right, I know you're not human, but while you're on what is, after all, my planet, where humans come from, I think you might at least try to... Arthur, it's perfectly simple. An SCP is something that we can't see, or don't see, or our brain doesn't let us see, because we think that it's somebody else's problem. That's what SCP means. Somebody else's problem. The brain just edits it out. It's uh, like a blind spot. Your only hope is to catch it by surprise out of the corner of your eye. Oh. I can see it. It's a spaceship. What? Just a spaceship? parked behind the sight screen. Great walloping Zarquam! What an utterly extraordinary looking thing, though. Strange that I couldn't see it. Sometimes it's much cheaper and easier to make people think that something works rather than actually make it work. After all, the result is, in all important aspects, the same. The extraordinary looking spaceship was not actually invisible or anything hyper-impossible like that. The technology involved in making something properly invisible is so mind-bogglingly complex that 999,999,999 times out of a billion, it's simpler just to take the thing away and hide it. For instance, the ultra-famous scientomagician Ephrafax of Wug once bet his life that given a year, he could render the great mega-mounted Magramal entirely invisible. Having spent most of the year fruitlessly jiggling around with immense Luxo valves and refracto nullifiers and spectrum bypass mats, he finally realized, with nine hours to go, that he wasn't going to make it. I can still see it. So he and his friends, and his friends' friends, and his friends' friends' friends, and some friends of theirs who happened to own a major stellar trucking company, put in what is now recognized as being one of the hardest night's work in history. And sure enough, Magramal was no longer visible. He lost the bet, and therefore his life, because he was unable to A, just say abracadabra and put it back, and B, account for the suspicious-looking extra moon overhead. The somebody else's problem field is much simpler, more effective, and can be run for over a hundred years on a nine-volt battery. This is because it relies on people's natural predisposition not to see anything they don't want to, weren't expecting, or can't explain. 
If Ephrafax had, instead of trying to render Magramal invisible, merely rendered it pink, and then erected a cheap somebody else's problem field around it, then people would have walked past the mountain, round it, even over it, and simply never noticed that the thing was there. Meanwhile, events of universe-shaking magnitude are gathering to a climax. That's the end of the game! Why is everybody trying to get at those guys in the middle? What have they done? What in the ashes? The what? Exciting, isn't it, Earthman? The hallucinations just keep on coming, Ford. For a moment there, <laughs> I thought I heard old... Uh, what's his name? You know, um, sounds like some sort of Danish chopped sausage. Slarty Bartfast. I think your team has just won, Earthman. Hello, Slarty Bartfast. You are English, aren't you, Earthman? Uh, yes, I... <laughs> what on earth are you doing here? Or rather, I mean, I don't know what I mean. Winning the Ashes. You must be very proud. I must say I'm rather fond of cricket myself. Almost entertainingly dull. Though I wouldn't want anyone outside this planet to hear me say so. Oh, dear. What are you doing here? I thought something terrible had happened. Something terrible is about to happen. That's generally true, isn't it? Look, if that monstrosity is your ship, can you give us a lift? Patience, Ford Prefect. It's just that this planet's about to be demolished. I know. And, well, I just wanted to make the point. Earthman, explain precisely to me what ceremony is now taking place at the centre of the field. A uh, pitch. It is a little puzzling. You want me to explain something to you? Well... That's the presentation of the ashes to the winning captain. It's just that if we don't go soon, we might get caught in the middle of it all again, and there's nothing depresses me more than a planet being senselessly destroyed. I see. And these ashes are in that tiny pottery urn. Yes. Except, I suppose, being on it when it happens. Patience. Great things are afoot. That's what you said last time. They were. Well, true. Meet me at my ship in two minutes. Where are you going? I have something of vital importance I have to do. I know! You've got to get us off this planet! The players are lined up as the urn containing the ashes is presented to the captain of the winning team. A wonderful moment, isn't it? But there's an elderly gentleman, apparently overcome with the heat, looking just a little bit like Moses. And, I do declare, he's demanding that he should be given the urn. I must have the ashes! They are vitally important for the past, present, and future safety of the galaxy. Do you mind? What in the name of Zarkin Fardworks is the old fool doing? I have no idea. Interesting. That's the second spaceship we've seen at Lord's today. And to think I woke up in a prehistoric cave this morning. It's very impressive, hanging up there. Much sleeker than Slarty Bartfasts, isn't it? The hatch is opening. One, two, three... Is that a cricket team arriving from some other galaxy? Or another publicity stunt for Australian margarine? Ten, eleven, all in white, carrying bats and balls... And flying down with cricket pads. No, rocket pads on their shins. They're dressed like cricketers, but they're robots. What was that? Hey! We must get to the ship. What is this? I don't want to know. This is not my planet. I didn't choose to be here. I don't want to get involved. Well, Fred, the Supernatural Brigade certainly seems to be out in force here at Lord's today. What I need is a strong drink and a peer group. 
It's incredible! They're doing a bizarre parody of batting strokes, except that every ball they hit explodes where it lands. I can see that! I do not know why they are doing this, but that is what they are doing! They're not just destroying Lords, they're sending it up! Ford, they're taking them precisely! We did that! They don't hang about, though! They've taken the ashes! Good heavens! What? Ashes! The remains of a cricket stuff burnt in Melbourne, Australia in 1882 to signify the death of English cricket. A trophy. It's an earth thing that they have come and taken. Strange thing to want to tell us. Strange thing to take. Strange ship. Clever how it just appeared one minute and disappeared the next. Not the robot ship, this ship. Good Lord. This is Slutty Bartfast's ship. It looks very different close up. Ah, that's the somebody else's problem field at work. Now you can clearly see the ship for what it is, simply because you know it's here, whereas no one else here can. Probably because close up, it looks much less like a spaceship and much more like a small, upended Italian bistro. Yes, I know, but there is a reason. Come, we must go. The, the ancient nightmare has come again. Doom confronts us all. We must leave at once. I fancy somewhere sunny. Wait a minute. Ford, you won't believe this, but there's another spaceship landing near that ambulance. Come on, Arthur, we're leaving. Wait a minute. I think I recognize it. Well, I, I really don't know what's going on here. I have to be honest, Fred. I, I don't think this is good for the game. Can you see exactly what's happening? Well... Some unearthly-looking chap is going up to one of the wounded spectators lying in the middle of the wicket. Never had this in my day. Excuse me. Out of the way. Yes, I know you're mortal. Just don't bleed on me. Ah, here you are. Help me. <coughs> Please. Diodat. Hey. Arthur Philip Diodat. Yes. <coughs> yes. You're a no-good Dumbo nothing. I thought you should know that before you went. Nice mover. Shame about the decor. What did you say? For a flight deck, this looks very like the lobby of an Italian restaurant. Deep in the fundamental heart of mind and universe, there is a reason. I'd say the fundamental heart of mind and universe can take a running jump. This spaceship is complete pants. It's not very high-tech, is it? Plastic ivy, cheap tiles, and those raffia-wrapped bottles you're trying to fit candles in. The flight controls. I refuse to be surprised. Uh, hold tight, please. Whoa. Oh. On the oh. other hand, I can't deny that the way it moves makes the heart of gold seem like an electric pram. How far did we just travel? Oh, uh, about, um, uh, about two-thirds uh, of the way across the galactic disk, I would say. Roughly. Not bad. Where are we going? We're going to confront an ancient nightmare of the universe. And where are you going to drop us off? I will need your help. Come. There's much I must show you and tell you. Where's he going? Up that green spiral staircase. How should I know? We'd better follow him. My doctor says that I have a malformed public duty gland and a natural deficiency in moral fibre, and that I am, therefore, excused from saving universes. The Central Computational Area. 
Good grief. Are these all robots? Yes. And this is where every calculation affecting the ship in any way is performed. Of course, and it had to look like... Yes, I know what it looks like. But it is, in fact, a complex four-dimensional topographical map of a series of highly complex mathematical functions. It looks like a joke. I told you, I knew what it looked like. Ford, the universe cannot possibly work like this. It's absurd. But most of the really absurd things you can think of have already happened. Would you care to take a seat, signore? Yes, please. No, thank you. But I'm hungry. Not a problem, sir. I come back later. The food is artificial, and so are the customers. Don't these robots ever clear away? Look, here's a half-eaten meal, dirty glasses. Don't touch that breadstick. Everything is set at a precisely calculated mathematical position. Would you care to see the wines? Oh, yes, please. No, thank you. Oh, they like that. Don't order anything. The knock-on effect could be catastrophic. To your stomach alone. Wait here, please. Before we go to the room of informational illusions, I need to make a course correction. Ah, Sergio. Signor Slarty Bartofast. Your usual table? Uh, no, I think I'll sit with the party over there. Oh, but they are about to pay their bill. Perfect timing. As Signore wishes. Um, what on earth is he doing? I don't know, but look, there's a pattern. It's like a sort of dance between the waiters and the customers. All the manipulation of menus, bill pads, wallets, credit cards, and paper napkins. Oh, yes. Good grief. Is that a gun? Pepper Mill. Oh. Oh, look. Now the customer robots are attempting to examine each other's pieces of chicken. It all means something. Oh, you're right. Feel that vibration through the deck. Thank you, Sergio. Most satisfactory meal. Whatever he just did, the ship has responded. But what sort of calculation requires the replication of an Italian restaurant? Bistromathics. The most powerful computational force known to Paris science. The Bistromatic Drive is a wonderful new method of crossing vast interstellar distances without all that dangerous mucking about with improbability factors. Bistromatics itself is simply a revolutionary new way of understanding the behavior of numbers. Just as Einstein observed that time was not an absolute but depended on the observer's movement in space, so it's now realized that numbers are not absolute but depend on the observer's movement in restaurants. The first non-absolute number is the number of people for whom the table is reserved. This will vary and bear no apparent relation to the number of people who actually turn up, or to the subset of people who leave when they see who else has turned up. The second non-absolute number is the given time of arrival, which is the one moment of time at which it's impossible that any member of the party will arrive. The third and most mysterious piece of non-absoluteness of all lies in the relationship between the number of items on the bill, the cost of each item, the number of people at the table, and what they are each prepared to pay for. And so it was only with the advent of pocket computers that the startling truth became finally apparent. And it was this. Numbers written on restaurant bills within the confines of restaurants do not follow the same mathematical laws as numbers written on any other pieces of paper in any other parts of the universe. This single fact took the scientific world by storm. It completely revolutionized it. So many mathematical conferences got held in such good restaurants that many of the finest minds of a generation died of obesity and the science of maths was put back by years. 
and being put back years is precisely how a technologically unsurpassed android feels when trying to converse with a mattress. I sense a deep dejection in your diodes, robot. It saddens me. And I globber. Globber? Don't you think it's discouraging enough you being born a mattress without having to globber like that? That is what we mattresses do. Unless we're flolloping. Some of us flurble. Others are taken away to be slept on. But as all of us are called Zem, we never know which. Why are you walking in circles? Because my leg is stuck. It seems to me that it is a pretty poor sort of leg. I expect that you find the idea of a robot with an artificial leg pretty amusing. You should tell your friends, Zem, and Zem, uh, when you see them later. They'll laugh if I know them, which I don't, of course, except insofar as I know all organic life forms, which is much better than I would wish to. Ah. My life is but a box of worm gears. But why do you just keep walking round and round in circles? Ask me if I ever get bored. Ah, uh, do you? I gave a speech once. You may not instantly see why I bring the subject up, but that is because my mind works so phenomenally fast. Do you know, I am at a rough estimate 30 billion times more intelligent than you. Think of a number. Any number. Um, five. Wrong. Oh. You see? Tell me of the speech you once made. Go on. I delivered it over there, about a mile distance. I would point, but this arm has been welded to my side. I was somewhat of a celebrity at the time, on account of my miraculous and bitterly resented escape from a fate almost as good as death in the heart of a blazing sun. You can guess from my condition how narrow my escape was. I was rescued by a scrap metal merchant, Imagine that. Here I am, brain the size of a... Oh, never mind. He it was who fixed me up with this leg. Hateful, isn't it? He sold me to a mind zoo. I was the star exhibit. I had to sit on a box and tell my story whilst people told me to cheer up and think positive. The speech, Flurble. I long to hear of the speech you gave in the marshes. There was a bridge built across the marshes. A cyber-structured hyperbridge hundreds of miles in length to carry ion buggies and freighters over the swamp. It was going to revitalize the economy of the Squanchellus system. They spent the entire economy in building it. They asked me to open it, poor fools. I stood on the platform. For hundreds of miles in front of me and hundreds of miles behind me, the bridge stretched. Did it glitter? It glittered. Did it span the miles majestically? It spanned the miles majestically. Did it stretch oh, like a silver thread far out into the invisible mist? Yes. Do you want to hear this story? No, Flebel. I want to hear your speech. This is what I said. I said, 
I would like to say that this is a very great pleasure, honor, and privilege for me to open this bridge, but I can't because all my lying circuits are out of commission. And to make matters worse, which I never have to anyway, I hate and despise you all and declare this hapless cyberstructure open to the unthinkable abuse of all who wantonly cross her. Then I plug myself into the opening circuits. The entire thousand-mile-long bridge spontaneously folded up its glittering spans and sank weeping into the mire. Taking everybody with it. Zoom! You were not bored that day. Contrary to all recent experience, no. Does this great ship suddenly hanging in the sky bore you? It depends on what those white robots flying down from it have in mind. Nothing pleasant, I expect. Upstairs. I suppose it takes all eleven of you to remove an artificial leg. Of course. You see the sort of thing I have to contend with. I think. Change of batting order. Typical. Hello. What arbitrary stroke has removed Marvin from his mattress swamp? What kind of artificial leg would appeal to eleven homicidal white robots in cricket pads? And how can Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect live through the most terrible war ever to ravage the universe? Only the next instalment of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy can tear away the veil of ignorance. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, William Franklin was the book. Simon Jones played Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect, Stephen Moore was Marvin, Dominic Hawksley, the cricket robots, and Richard Griffiths was Slarty Bartfast. Andy Taylor played Zem, Fiona Carew, the walkie-talkie, Theo Maggs, the boy, Toby Longworth, Wowbagger, Bruce Hyman, Diodat, and Henry Blofeld and Fred Truman were themselves. The announcer was John Marsh. The surround mix was by Paul Dealey and the live FX by Ken Humphrey. The script editor was John Langdon and the music was by Paul Wicks-Wickins. The production assistants were Laura Harris and Joe Wheeler. The program was adapted, directed and co-produced by Dirk Maggs. The producers were Helen Chatwell and Bruce Hyman and it was an above-the-title production for BBC Radio 4. Vogon Building and Loan advise that your planet is at risk if you do not keep up repayments on any mortgage secured upon it. Please remember that the force of gravity can go up as well as down. <laughs> <laughs>